Welcome to SCG Church's podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. We also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. Thanks so much for listening. Okay, doing okay? Yeah? All right. Can I get that, that stuff? Yeah, that'd be perfect. Um, you can go and bring the house lights up so I can see the beautiful faces here this morning. There's a couple sections I'd like you to keep dark, though. Um, kidding. Anyway, glad that you guys are here this morning. Um, if you are, are new, I uh, want to give you a very special welcome. I, uh, I, uh, I just turned my light on. What am I, a boomer? What is happening here? Anyway, <laughs> I, I didn't even know if the boomers would be able to hear that or not, so I didn't know. I'm kidding. Why am I starting off like this? I, I apologize. Anyway, uh, I'm glad that you guys are here this morning. Um, if you are watching online, I want to give you a special welcome as well. Is, uh, we, uh, we love that you've joined us online. We love it better if you're in person, but that's okay. Um, anyway, a couple things that you need to know about real fast before uh, we jump into today's message. Um, we're right in the middle of a series called Summer of Somebodies and Somethings. And unfortunately, you missed the somebody and something because it happened last night, so you're stuck with me. But last night, um, we had an outdoor concert. So we did service out in the tent. And um, I don't know what it is about the tent, but people just seem to love the tent. And so it was crazy out there. Yeah, it was packed. We had tons of fun. We had service out there. And then we had a country night afterward. And so it was a blast. Um, but we have tons of stuff that's coming up in the, uh, the, the coming weeks. I think next week is J.P. Moreland. And if you don't know anything about him, um, he is a, a guest of ours that we've had throughout the years. And I, I'm, I'm not, I don't think, over-exaggerating when I say that he is probably one of the most famous philosophers uh, that is still living today. Like, he is amazing. And he happens to uh, like coming here, and, uh, and so we're, we're just really honored to have him here next weekend, and so make sure you're here. And then the coming weekends, we have some other stuff. We got a reggae concert that's taking place out in the tent. We got Jay Warner Wallace who's coming. We just got a bunch of stuff. So every week, there's going to be something taking place, so make sure you don't miss any of those weeks. Um, also, in the fall, we're going to be hosting a bunch of concerts. And so we have Jeremy Camp that's going to be here in October, and Torin Wells in November. And so all those tickets are available, and you better get them pretty quick because it will will sell out. And so make sure you jump on those. You can either get them out in the lobby or online. And then um, we've been talking about the new merch that we have. We have like summer SCG stuff that you can go and you can represent out in the community. So we have a tank top that's really fun. We have, um, oh, okay. So we had this whole debate. If it's called, you guys all disagreed with me, by the way. I call it a beach blanket. And you said it's a beach towel. Right. Well, guess what? This morning, I was watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse with my son, and guess what one of the options was that you could pick um, from, what's the little, uh, uh, toodles, toodles, a beach blanket. I'm just saying, Mickey agrees with me, so forget you guys. All right. Um, oh, yesterday we had a food bank. It was great. Tons of people came through, so thank you to those who did. And then finally, um, we do appreciate your generosity. You guys have been so faithful in your giving in this last season. And one of the things that we kind of got rid of in this last year was passing any offering buckets. And so we kind of feel like, hey, you guys know what to do. So you can give online or you can give in one of the, the places on the way out. Okay, so let's... Uh, Let's get going. I think that's all the announcements that I have. Pretty soon service is just going to be all announcements. We're just going to go, okay, and God bless. Have a good one. Okay. 
So last weekend, it was a lot of fun. Um, we had a guest speaker, and I got to interview him. Um, but the, the whole idea behind last weekend was, and I wanted to do, to be honest, I wanted to do this message last weekend, but um, it kind of, it didn't, the timing didn't make sense because it's, it's part two of a message that I did a couple weeks ago about, about identity. And I wanted to do it on July 4th weekend because um, July 4th is, as many of you know, it's about the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the separation of the... Uh, the, the 13 colonies from Great Britain in 1776. And a, a part of, and I would argue that the central theme of not just July 4th weekend, but I would say the celebration of a, one of our dearest values is freedom. I think that if you were to ask, hey, if you could describe America in one word, what would it be? And I believe most people would say freedom. That America is unique because of its freedoms. It's unique in, in that um, we allow certain freedoms that other countries have not, that we protect certain freedoms. It's a unique country and influential because of those freedoms. And lots of people from around the world, they want to come and be a part of America because of our freedoms. We also look at kind of the, the dark moments in our history, the, the stain on our history, if you will. And it's when we didn't live up to those ideals of freedom for everybody. And so freedom is something that we all seem to value, especially here in the United States. But this idea of freedom, although we all say that we love it and that we promote it and even people die for it, if you were to ask somebody to define freedom, I think it would actually be a lot more difficult than you would imagine. It's freedom is one of those things that we know when it's missing, but it's really hard to, to really pinpoint what it is. And so that's what I want to do is I want to pack this idea as what exactly is freedom. And, and the reason why this is part two of the identity talk is because I think there's some links between our identity and freedom. And so we'll see if this makes sense or, or not. So we'll start with the first question. What is freedom? I was looking for answers to this question and I came across a National Geographic clip and they went around the world and they asked people on the street, what does freedom mean to you? And here's a couple of their answers. The first guy said um, that I can run naked in the streets which he didn't seem to have the figure for that, but that's up to him. Um, another said, being liberated from other people's expectations, being yourself, living without oppression, living without fear, doing what your heart wants. This one was interesting. Power to create your own existence. It's like a little philosophy, philosopher in the making, I think, there. And uh, the last one, he said, to drink as much as I want. One of the most famous and probably influential thinkers when it comes to the, um, the subject of freedom is Isaiah Berlin. And in 1958, he wrote this essay, and it's become famous. And in this essay, he talks about the two concepts of liberty. And what he argues is that throughout human history, you can kind of put the two ideas, the major ideas of freedom, into two categories. You have positive freedom and negative freedom. And so he says that negative freedom is a freedom from. So this would be freedom from things like obstacles, interference, constraints, and coercion. And then we would add this little caveat is as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. And so if we look at, for instance, in our country, the Bill of Rights, in the Bill of Rights, we see um, that there is a description of these negative freedoms is the government does not have the right to intrude in certain parts of your life, Right. And so you have this freedom of speech or you have this freedom of religion. And this type of freedom is uh, focused in on the absence of something. 
But then you have this other freedom. It's called positive liberty or positive freedom. And what this is, is a freedom for, a freedom to. And so it's a freedom to pursue, uh, pursue your goals and desires and wants. And it's not just about the absence of constraints, but it requires the addition of something else. It could be anything from resources and self-determination, knowledge, willpower. And so let me see if I can give you an example to make sense of these two freedoms. Is um, Let's imagine that today I wanted to go and fly to Europe. And not only did I want to fly to Europe, I wanted to fly first class. Better yet, a private jet, which if you have one, let me know. Um, and, and so the question is, am I free to fly in a private jet to Europe today? Now, as long as there's not any COVID restrictions or anything like that, the first, the negative view would say, well, yes, of course, you're free to do that. There's no persons or laws that are keeping you from flying in a private jet to Europe. But the positive view of freedom would say, well, you're not actually free to do that because it requires the addition of something else. Like you have to have a private jet or know somebody or have the opportunity. You have to have the resource. You got to be able to pay for a flight in a private jet. You don't have any of those things. And so you're not actually free to go and to fly to Europe in a private jet. And so um, this concept of freedom, although it, it can be debated and there's lots of interesting debates that are happening within contemporary culture about which of these freedoms is, is real freedom and how it applies. And I'm not going to get into the middle of that. But what I do see in similarities, at least it seems like everybody agrees on, is a couple things. The goal of freedom, according to contemporary culture, is um, the freedom to pursue self-actualization. And what I mean by this is the freedom to become who I want to be, to, to be myself, to pursue my desires and my wants. And uh, the path to freedom is the ability to live without any restraint or restriction. And so I can do what I want, when I want, be, ever, be whoever I want, and nobody can stand in the way of my pursuit of those things, of course, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And so if this is our conception of freedom, and this is what everybody is pursuing, it makes sense that I would then need to reject anyone or anything that tries to intrude upon my pursuit of freedom, my, my autonomy. And so take, for instance, the government. There's been a lot of discussion this last year about overreach and infringing upon my rights. And so people have practiced what's called civil disobedience because they seem to be intruding on my freedoms. Or um, maybe family, community, society, as lots of people say, well, I'm rejecting what they call norms because I don't want to have to live up to someone else's conception or their social pressures or their definition of what I should be. I'm not going to let them define me. Even objective truth is we have to either relativize or reject objective truth because if there is such thing as truth and I have to submit underneath it, that means I don't get to be fully autonomous. And so, therefore, I'm going to either reject the idea that truth exists or I'm going to relativize it. It's your truth. It's my truth. You live your truth the way that you want to. This is true of nature. If nature impedes on my ability to define or be myself, I must either manipulate or reject nature. And this is true of God. It is either we reject the idea that God exists or we make a God that agrees with me. Is he wants all the same freedoms for me that I want. It's because we can't allow anything or anyone to intrude upon our pursuit of this total autonomy, which we call freedom. I think it's also why Christianity is kind of suffering right now, at least in the, in the West, is because it doesn't seem to match up with this definition of freedom very well. Is when you think about Christianity, a lot of people who especially aren't really familiar with it think, well, it just sounds like a bunch of rules that are going to tell me what to do. And if, 
if my whole idea of freedom is to be without constraint, that seems very constraining. I want nothing to do with that. There's a, a lot of content, uh, contentious issues within our culture. If you just think about the last 10 years of what is taking place in culture, and let's pick a couple of the hottest topics just to offend a lot of people in the room. Um, a lot of those topics are about wrestling with the limits of freedom. And I'm going to try to equally offend everybody in here at some point. Is, let's take this one, this last year. There was a lot of debate about this idea of lockdowns and wearing masks. Because on one side of the issue, the people who probably would promote this negative liberty, they would say, well, don't tell me what to do, where I can and can't go. Don't try to make me wear a mask. But then the other side of the issue says, well, your desire for freedom from lockdowns and masks, they intrude on my freedoms and they could potentially cause me harm. Okay, let's take abortion. One side says, it is my choice. I have the freedom to decide what I want to do with my body. The other side says, well, no, you don't actually have that freedom because your freedom doesn't trump their freedom or right to life. Take gender and sexuality. One side says, you don't get to define yourself. Because it is about your biology. It's about what God has assigned for you. And they would say, no, 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 no. I get to determine who I am and what I want to be. I get to define myself, including my gender and sexuality. See, it's interesting, is how much of our cultural disputes revolve around this idea of the limits of freedom. Who gets to decide? And where are those limitations? And what happens when they start impinging on other people's freedoms? I think it's a natural disposition for us to just simply not like being told what to do. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Maybe somebody told you where to park when you drive in and you're like, I'll park there, but I don't like it, right? <laughs> when he was, he was waving, but he was smiling, but I knew. I knew what he was thinking. I was listening to my, uh, my ear pods right before service. And it's funny, this thing popped up and it said, you've been listening to the, your ear pods for too long in a high volume, turn it down. And I went, don't you tell me. I turned it up. I was like, you don't know me. <laughs> it's funny. There's just something inside of us that just resists this idea of you can't. And you can see it. If you don't believe it, just look at children. If you've ever been around children, you know that this is the natural disposition. Is because uh, this week, my kids, they're on summer break. And I, I took a couple extra days off to hang out with them. That was a big mistake. And so... As I'm, uh, as I'm hanging out with them and we're around the house and stuff like that, it, it is just constant. Dad, let's go to the park. Dad, let's go to the park. You want to go to the park? Let's go to the park. You want to go to the park? Let's go to the park. And finally, I'm like, all right, dude, everybody, we're going to the park right now. Get your shoes on. And my youngest is like, no, you have been bothered. I don't want to go to the park. Okay. This is your idea, not my idea. It's like, yeah, but when you said that I should do this, I don't like the idea anymore. I'm like, okay, fine. Let's not go to the park. Well, now I want to go to the park. All right, whatever, dude, whatever. It's because there's something within the human heart that on, on one hand, we desire freedom. It's an intuition that we have. But we also think that, the, that freedom is gonna come through this, this idea of autonomy, to live without constraints. Again, my kids yesterday, as I was getting ready for this message, unprompted, I uh, heard them, or my wife heard them singing this song. It's a hip hop song that they play out in the youth group and stuff like that. And and the chorus of the song is, you can't stop me. And they just shout it at the top of their lungs around the house all the time. And I've begun to realize it's not just because they like the song, it's they like the message. <laughs> They're telling me and mom, you can't stop me. 
And I respond with, I can. I'm bigger. I'm meaner. But it just speaks to us, right? There's something within the human heart that says, you can't tell me what to do. And so let me ask you this question. If we were able to fully realize this version of freedom, would we be truly free? Meaning like if there was no constraints, if we were completely autonomous and we had all the resources to pursue pursue our desires and our passions, would we then be truly free? I think the answer is clearly no. Let me give you a couple reasons why. One is because we have conflicting desires. So as I'm on this pursuit of self-actualization of becoming my true and best self, I may find in myself two conflicting desires. So for me, this is what it looked like this week. I have, on one hand, this desire to be an effective pastor. And to do that, probably like your job, it takes different um, characteristics. I've got to study. Uh, I've, got to, um, I've got to spend relational time with people. I've got to spend quiet time. I've got, you know, there's all these elements that it takes to be an effective pastor. But then there's this other desire that I have. And I would say it's oftentimes equally, if not stronger, than my desire to be an effective pastor, at least in the moment. And that's the desire to eat whatever I want, whenever I want. Especially in and out Chick-fil-A and Indian buffets. That last one's kind of random, but so good. So good. Um, And the problem with that desire is whenever I do that, which has happened more times than I'd like to admit in this last year, it ends up with me, after eating that much, being in a food coma for the rest of the afternoon. And I have to then take a nap to sleep off what I've just eaten. And then I I can't be an effective pastor because I can't even stay awake long enough. And so I have these two conflicting desires. What do I do? I, I can't have both of them. And I know this is a silly example, but you get the idea is I have to choose one of these two things. I have to sacrifice one of my freedoms in order to pursue a greater freedom. And so I think what we learn from this is that freedom is not living without constraints. It's living with the right constraints. Now, this brings up a whole nother issue, which is the second issue I see with this view is, well, if there is, if, if freedom is living with the right constraints, it assumes that I know and I will do the right things. So uh, if, um, let's start with I know. It assumes that I know what I'm supposed to do. Now, sometimes it's really obvious. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to eat healthy. I'm supposed to exercise. Okay, whatever. But life is hardly that easy. Is usually when you get to like the deeper, more profound questions of life, like what am I supposed to do with my life? Who am I supposed to marry? How do I raise my kids? All of those big questions, it's never obvious. They're always complex. And so I have to figure out, okay, well, how do I know what to do in these, in these moments? And so if you have a track record, anything like mine, um, and you look at the past decisions that you make, you may come to the realization that your ability to choose the right thing to do at any given moment, not so good. Like you don't have a great track record at picking the right decisions all the time. Think about the decisions that you made just 10 years ago. Whatever age you are right now, just think about yourself 10 years ago. Are there any decisions that you made that you just look back and go, that was really dumb. Like I cannot believe that I was friends with them. I cannot believe we were business. I cannot believe that I did. I can't believe I treated my body like that. I can't believe that I, I, I spent my money like, you ever, is it, my bet is you probably have some things that you just go, ooh, I wish I could take that. No matter, take back, even 10 years ago. Now, 
Think about this. Whatever age you are right now, in 10 years, you're going to say the same thing about you today. You're going to look at the decisions you're making today and go, that was really dumb. That was a poor decision. And it's because throughout our life, if we are maturing and if we're making progress and learning, well, then we're going to look at our past decisions and go, that was really dumb. It's because we lack a certain amount of knowledge. That's just a part of being humans. And so we don't oftentimes know what the right thing is to do because we just lack the information. We lack the insight or the wisdom. And so one of the ways that um, we try to make decisions is through this no harm principle. It's okay, well, and this is kind of like a bottom level decision-making process is does it hurt anybody else? Well, I think this is a, on the surface, an easy question. Like, well, if I hit them with my car, that'll hurt them. So I probably shouldn't do that. You know, okay, right. But like, let's get a little bit deeper here. Is first, what does it mean to harm somebody? We got to decide the definition of harm first. Is it just purely physical pain? Well, that's not true because that doesn't fit all definitions. I give my kids shots. and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that doesn't work. What exactly does it mean to not harm somebody? Well, you'll very quickly realize that as you dig into this question, it requires the answer to a whole other string of questions, deep, profound questions like, is there such thing as right and wrong objectively? What is the purpose of man's uh, uh, um, life? How am I supposed to live? All the big existential questions start to come into play. You realize that just answer the question, does it cause harm to anybody? You have to answer all the big worldview questions as well. And, and so it's not quite as easy as we might think it is. The other thing is, is um, we're not privy to knowledge of the future. Is we don't know things that maybe seem harmless today may cause harm in the future to ourselves or to other people. Very obvious example, 30s, 40s, no, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, doctors were recommending you smoke cigarettes. Not only is it not going to harm you, it's going to be good for your health. Well, fast forward a little bit, and millions of people have now died because of lung cancer. So because something seemingly was harmless in the moment doesn't mean it's not going to cause harm in the future. The other part of this is, let's say that we do know, like we are, we are certain that we know what the right thing is to do. This does not guarantee we will actually do the right thing. Like, have you ever done this before? Maybe this is just me. But for me, it's around 10 o'clock or so, and I'm watching Netflix, and I'm going, I have to get up early in the morning. I know I need to do a workout and then go to work, and then I've got a long day, and I need to get my rest, but wow, that was a cliffhanger. <laughs> I really should find out what happens next episode. And before you know it, it's one in the morning, you're five episodes down, and you're still just charging. <laughs> you know what you're supposed to do. It's, it's not a tough decision, and yet you don't do it. There's something about us as humans, although we may know what we're supposed to do, there's just something in us go, but like, I don't really want to. <laughs> I don't really want to do it, though. And so we have these two problems, is picking the right freedoms takes knowledge that we probably don't have and willpower that we definitely don't have. All right, number three. Autonomy leads to slavery, not freedom. Think about the people who have the most what we would consider uh, freedom or autonomy in our culture, kind of cultural elites. Let's think about rock stars. You know, they have sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They got everything at their fingertips, everything that they could ever want. They have the resources to pursue their desires. They have the freedom uh, from constraint to pursue them. Do those people to you look like the most free people in our society? Like, as they're checking into rehab, do you go, man, they're free. Look at them. They're really doing it. Yeah, Britney Spears. That's right. Thank you. She does not seem free. Free Britney. Um, I don't know. I just heard that. I don't even know. Ooh, 
okay. Um, <laughs> but look at them. I mean, think about it. The, the, these people are constantly trying to shape their image, to look the right way, to follow the right trends, to be hanging out with the right people, to fight the aging process. Does that look like freedom? No. The drama, the relational conflict, the constant divorce and marriage and new partners, and that doesn't look like freedom to me. And so if these people have what all of us are pursuing as freedom, and yet they look less free than you and I, maybe our conception of freedom is a little bit off. You can see this in people who have fallen into some sort of addiction, drug addiction or, or, or some kind of sex addiction or something like that, is those people, um, as they fall further and further into their addiction, you can see the slavery that's taking place. Like they're a slave to this addiction that they have. Now, what's interesting about people who are in addiction is what they're having happen is what all of us are having happen in fast forward. We just need to see it in a, in a more sped up and explicit way with people in addiction. Because all of us, we're all being enslaved to something. It could be money, it could be power, it could be image, it could be just trying to be a good person. But what's interesting about people in, in the, 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 uh, the grips of addiction is that you see what's taking place right in front of your very eyes. They're showing us what's happening in slow motion to us. Number four, love limits freedoms. So uh, some of the greatest freedoms in life are found in loving relationships. But the irony is that loving relationships are also the most restrictive things in this world. Let me give you an example. When I first got married... I uh, went from being a young 20-something where I was free to do whatever I wanted. Preach, that's right. <laughs> Your wife is not happy with you right now, by the way. Um, no, I could do whatever I want. I could go to the gym when I want. I could eat what I want. I could spend my money on what I want. I didn't have to call anybody to do anything. And then I got married. And all of those things that I once had are gone. I have to call her and ask her, Hey, I was thinking about getting some food on the way home. What do you think? No, you're right. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. That was a bad, I just wanted to make sure that we were on the same page. All of them are gone. All of my freedoms have disappeared. Now, if you've had kids, especially young kids, it's multiplied. Because not only are all of those freedoms gone, but when you have little kids, especially a bunch of them running around the house, you have to like, schedule bathroom breaks between you and your, your partner because it's like, hey, are you going to watch them so that they don't die in the five minutes that I'm in the bathroom? Yeah, okay, good. All right, tag team, cool, good. All freedoms are gone. And yet, if you are in that kind of relationship where you are known and you know them, and you get to be open, and you get to be honest, and you get to experience this deep kind of love. There's nothing more freeing than that. And so I may give up all of these other freedoms to experience a deeper and more profound freedom in loving relationships. Last one is this. Slavery, unfortunately, seems to be inevitable. There's an interesting phenomenon that's happening right now. There's different groups uh, kind of in popular culture, and they seem to be uh, kind of in the podcast community, in which they're observing culture, and they're seeing kind of this pursuit of our own desires without constraint, and they're going, that doesn't seem to work very well. And so what they've begun to do is they've begun to kind of rediscover this ancient understanding of freedom. And so if you look back to the ancient Greeks, they had a totally different conception of freedom. Their idea was... Freedom is to be mastered by no one, including yourself. 
So Plato said, uh, people who pursue their base desires are simply slaves to their passions. He also warned that an entire society made up of people who are continuing to pursue their individual desires will result in lawlessness and tyranny. They said freedom really comes through living rationally, virtuously, and disciplined. And so this version of freedom is, well, freedom comes through not by doing what you want to do, but what you ought to do. It's through self-mastery, it's through discipline, it's through sacrifice, their education and hard work. And I, look, I think this is a much better option. It's a lot less destructive for sure. But I don't think it gets us where we want to go. I don't think it's going to end in the true freedom that we want. I think it's probably going to end in slavery, just maybe a little bit less destructive version. Because if it is dependent upon me to continue to, by my, my effort, continue to try to... Sh- perform this act that gets me free from slavery. So it's dependent upon what I do. And I don't think I can ever truly be free because I have to just keep working and keep working and keep working to be free. Well, then that seems like an enslavement in itself. And so now um, I'm enslaved to my disciplines and my hard work and my, all right, have you ever known anybody who's like an elite athlete? I know you're looking at me, it's not me. Like an elite athlete, right? Like somebody who is just all about whatever this sport is or whatever this, it's funny, their life is incredibly disciplined and I admire that aspect in which they get up at a certain time and they drink a certain amount of water and they eat a certain amount of calories and they, you know, and their whole life is they gotta exercise this amount. Their whole life is just scheduled out, it's regimented so that they can perform at these optimal levels. But doesn't that look a little bit like slavery? I'm a slave to my discipline now, is I don't get to be free. I know lots of people are like, they go on vacation, they can't relax because they're, they're a slave to their discipline. And so at the end of the day, it seems like no matter where we turn, enslavement follows. No matter what we try, no matter what we do, no matter the things that we try to free ourselves from, it ends up just being slavery in the end. I think that if true freedom is dependent upon what I do, we are never going to be free. So what's our options? Scripture has a lot to say about this. And I think one of the reasons why we continue to find ourselves enslaved to these different things is because we don't really know what we need freedom from. And we also don't know what we need freedom for or how to get it. Scripture gives us this narrative and gives us insight into why we feel this way and how we, uh, uh, why we feel enslaved and how we find freedom. If you go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, we have this, this story of Adam and Eve. And in this story, God creates them in order to be free, which is why we have this intuition that we should be free, is because he created us that way. And the reason why he did it is he wanted to give us this thing called free will. And I think it was the most dangerous thing that God could have done, but he had to do it. Because that's the only way that a loving relationship can exist is if I can choose to either love you or reject you. And so that's what he said. He says, you can love me or reject me. You can pursue my wants and desires for your life or you can pursue your own. And then when he did create us and he gave us this freedom, we said, you know, this doesn't really feel like complete freedom. Complete freedom lives is about autonomy. It's without constraint. And God, you seem to be kind of restricting the things that I want to pursue. 
And so instead of submitting to God and finding freedom, we decided to rebel and hope for a greater freedom. The problem was, and this is what the whole eating of the fruit thing in the garden was, was it was us trying to be autonomous, trying to throw off the shackles of God's authority on our life and instead pursue our own wants and desires. And what we found was not that we had a greater freedom, but a much lesser freedom. Because now this thing called sin entered into the world and into each one of us. And sin is the ultimate slavery. And so the rest of the Bible, you could say in a way, is kind of a story about freedom and slavery. You start with Adam and Eve, and I just wrote down a couple Bible characters as I was thinking through this. And I thought, well, you know, let's think of some of the major stories in the scriptures. We have people like Joseph. The whole story of Joseph is he is thrown into slavery and then God provides a way for him out. Or uh, let's go to Moses. Moses, the whole point is he goes into Egypt, he, he frees the people from slavery in, in, into freedom. Or, or people like Samson, and he's been on my mind a lot lately because me and my kids, we've been reading it, they're very into it, the whole gouging of the eyes thing, very excited about it. But his poor choices landed him in slavery. Daniel, thrown into a jail full of lions, God delivers him in Israel. Israel's story is just a constant cycle of them disobeying, getting enslaved by another nation, and then God coming and setting them free. That's the whole story of the Old Testament. And I think the reason why this narrative continues to go over and over again is it's a reminder. They're signposts. Is man desires freedom, but man is not free continues to find himself in enslavement and God continues to deliver, but there's gonna have to be something greater because these are just temporary reliefs. The problem really hasn't been addressed yet. There has to be something bigger. There has to be an eternal kind of rescue that needs to take place. So one day Jesus is sitting in the temple courts and he's teaching and he's speaking to a group of Jewish um, folks and, and they all have been following him around and kind of saying, okay, I think you know Jesus might be this guy who he claims to be and Jesus starts discussing this complex issue of freedom. And in John 8, 31, he says this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So what he doesn't say here is he doesn't say, if you believe what I'm saying, then you're one of my disciples. Because his brother, James, would later point out, it doesn't matter if you believe. Even the demons believe what Jesus is saying. That doesn't do a whole lot. What he says here is, he says, if you hold my teaching, meaning if you actually do it, if, you, if you're faithful, if you live it out, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now, there's a very popular saying of Jesus. What's funny is I, I did a little um, search on it to see what people are, are saying about it. I always like seeing what popular conception is of things that are in the Bible. And it's hilarious because I watch like TED Talks, all these people, and they use this as their starting point. But I'm fairly sure that no one knew that it was from Jesus. Because they're like, well, Martin Luther King said. And it's like, you know, he got that from, all right, whatever. Um, and what they think it means is, well, if you... If you speak the truth and you reject lies, if you pursue what is really true in life, then you're going to be set free. Those are good things, but that's not what he's saying here. Remember, Jesus made this claim that he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What he's saying is, if you know me, then you will be set free. If you know the truth, which is me, I am the embodiment of truth, then you will be set free. And so by knowing and following and living this life out, you are going to find freedom. He continues on, he says, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, I've already mentioned Israel's history and how they've constantly been in enslavement. And so clearly they couldn't have been talking about the fact that they've never been slaves because they've all been slaves. In fact, they're under Roman rule at this time. 
And so the slavery that they must have been referring to is some kind of internal freedom, is we are not internally enslaved. We are somehow free. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And this is where we go wrong, is what he's saying here is, is this idea that you think true freedom is being freed from these external circumstances, being freed from these people's control. Or there's some perceptive people. We may realize that, no, you know, I mean, there's those freedoms that we need freed from, but there's also these like internal enslavements that I have. There's these habits, there's these thoughts, there's these patterns that also enslave me. And so this is what self-help books are addressing is I know there's something in me that continues to enslave me. And so I need to deal with that as well. And Jesus says, that's not going to do it. Because it's not just these internal conflicts that you have. It's not just these external constraints that, that you have. What, what's taking place is, is there's something within you that no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, no matter who you know, slavery is always going to follow you. He says, the reason why is because you don't understand what you need freedom from. What you need freedom from is sin. And he says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Remember, these people claim to be a part of Abraham's family. They're Jewish. They're descendants of Abraham. And so they're going, well, we're, we're already a part of the family. And Jesus turns around and he says, well, you know, you may be a part of Abraham's family, but that doesn't mean that you're therefore a part of God's family. To be a part of God's family you have to be free people because there are no slaves in the kingdom of God. And then he says, and we'll finish here is, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He said, you can go read as many self-help books as you want. You can go fight for your rights. You can do all of those things and maybe they'll be beneficial, but they will not set you free. There is only one person who can set you free and that's me. And the way that he does this is he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to willingly give up my freedom in exchange for yours. I'm going to come down as a child. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to give up all the freedoms that I deserve in order to give you freedom that you don't deserve. He says, that's the only way that you're truly going to be free. Let me end with a quick illustration. See if I can make sense of all this. And I, I heard this, I kind of modified it um, from a pastor, Annie Stanley, years ago. And Let's imagine that you and I, we live, I don't know, a few hundred years ago, and we live in England, we're on the countryside, and we have a little farm there, and you have some parents that, uh, let's imagine just kind of like a Cinderella story. These, these parents are just, they're awful people. They just constantly tell you what to do, where you can go, what you can eat. They put you in these tattered clothes and make you work all, all day. You're just worn down. It's a mess, and there is no way for you to get out of this. So day after day after day, you're just sitting there and you're working and you're working. And then one day you see in the distance, somebody riding on a horse. And you're like, that's weird. We're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody ever comes out here, but you see them getting closer and closer. And eventually they come onto your land. And as you're watching, you think there's something different about them. There's something, and you realize it is the king of this kingdom that you live in. And you're shocked, you've heard about him, but you, you've never met him, you've never like, been able to be this close before. And so he rides up to you, and as you're sitting there working, and you're just a mess, he says, I can see that you found yourself in a pretty bad spot, and you don't have any way to get out of this. I'm going to offer you something. I'm going to offer to adopt you as my son or daughter. You can come be a part of the royal family today. 
What do you want to do? Well, the choice seems obvious. Well, of course that's what I want to do. I want to go and live in your kingdom. I want to be adopted as your son and daughter. Well, that's the exact same thing that the scripture says. It says, hey, um, you are a slave to sin. And there's no way for you to get out of it. You can't save yourself. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer through the sacrifice of my son this way for you to become a part of the kingdom. To be my, my child. What do you want to do? You get to come in and you get to live as a part of this family. That's the offer that he gives all of us. He says, come and be a part of my family. I think about um, the implications of this idea. Well, back to our story, you think about some of the, the, the implications, the practical implications that would take place. Let me just highlight two really quickly. One, you would now be free from, remember we talked about that whole negative positive thing? You'd have a negative freedom in which you are free from the things that once controlled you. So let's imagine that you're in the castle and you're just, you're living it up. You are having a great time um, and you hear someone knock at the door. Like, oh, I'll go get it, you know. And so you open up the door and it's your, your parents. And they say, you need to come back with us right now. Things are in disarray at the, at the farm. Things are a mess because you haven't been there. And so you need to come back right now and you need to get to work. What they're trying to do is they're trying to continue to enslave you. Now, in that moment, you actually might be tempted to say yes, because you've lived as a slave for so long, you just naturally are disposed to saying, yes, okay, I'm going to do what you want me to do. But you don't have to. Legally, they're not in control of you anymore. You can tell them, no, I'm not interested. Slam the door. Sayonara. I'm done. The same thing is true as when we come to Christ is when we give our life to Christ and we are set free from the things that once enslaved us, we may be tempted to go back and say yes to those things, but we don't have to. It's like when an adoption takes place, is when that paper is signed, that child is now legally freed from his past and now a part of a new family. And that's what happens when you become a Christ follower, is you are now free to say no to the things that enslaved you. Now, here's the problem, is... If you've ever seen somebody who has adopted children from, let's say, a third world country, when they come and they are adopted, although in the moment that the paperwork is signed, deal is done, over, you're free, come with us, it doesn't mean that they actually act free. Because even though legally they're free, they don't know how to live as a free person. And so they may come to uh, this new home and this new family, and it's not like all of a sudden they go, yes, ma'am, okay, sir, thank you. I will be cleaning the dishes, blah, blah, blah. No, they're not like that at all because they've lived as enslaved people for so long that they have brought all those habits with them. And so it takes a while to start learning how to live in that freedom. See, this is what happens with Christians. This is um, the theological term for it. It's called sanctification. So justification is, I'm saved, I'm done, I'm free. That happens in a moment. Sanctification takes a lifetime. I have to learn to live as a free person. So um, some of us, we've been saying yes to some things that we don't have to say yes to anymore. Guilt and shame, regret, addiction. Because we have just been so used to saying yes, but Christ came and said, well, if I've set you free, you don't have to say yes to those things anymore. They once mastered you because of the sin that dwelled within you. But once that was taken care of, you don't have to say yes anymore. So there's this exercise I've done over the years. And I like it because it's so uncomfortable. It makes everybody remember it. And so the exercise is this. is If there's something that you're you're facing, something that continues to, to knock on the door of your heart that wants to come back and enslave you, here's what I want you to try. I want you to say out loud, sin is not my master. Like, let's try that. Are you ready? 
Three, two, one. Sin is not my master. Isn't that awkward? It's so good. Now try it in public, like by yourself. Like, like, okay, scenario. You go to the grocery store after this. You're going to go pick up a couple items. And, and guys, you're, you're, you know how this goes. You're, you're checking out and you're just minding your own business. And then all of a sudden your eyes veer and boom, they hit that magazine cover. And that girl is not wearing very, very much clothing. If you in that moment at the top of your lungs say, sin is not my master, I will guarantee you, you're not thinking about that magazine anymore. <laughs> Guaranteed. You'll be thinking about so many other things, like how do I get out of here as quickly as possible? Have they called the police yet? I don't know. Because, because here's, the, here, here's kind of the deal, is when we come to Christ, Jesus frees us from these things. That's the negative. But here's the other part. It's full circle. He also frees us in the positive freedom sense. He frees us to something. And here's what I think he frees us to. He frees us to live differently than everybody else. Everybody else has to get up and they have to prove themselves. They have to prove their worth. They have to define themselves. They have to, de- de- they have to determine what is true for that. I mean, it's exhausting every day getting up, trying to prove to yourself and the rest of the world that you're worthy. And what Jesus says is, you don't have to prove that anymore. That's done. As soon as you came into a relationship, you're part of the family now. You're an heir to the throne. You don't have to, you don't have to prove anymore. And so I can stop fighting for my survival, stop fighting for my identity, stop fighting for my rights, stop fighting for all of those things, and I can simply just be free to live differently. And here's what Jesus says, or 1 Corinthians says. It says this, it says, though I am free and belong to no one, so I've been freed from, I have made myself slave to everyone to win as many as possible. See, we've been freed from all of these things that we can live now in true freedom. But he also freed us to some things. One of the main things that he freed us to is not just to live um, within, you know, like to pursue our desires, but to pursue his desires for our life. But the other thing is so that we we can help bring other people into this freedom as well. Is man, I see a lot of people out there enslaved. I meet people all the time and it just, that this, it looks exhausting. And yeah, there's moments in which I continue to, to fall back into that old enslavement ways and yet I'm quickly reminded, I don't have to say yes to that anymore. I'm free now. And once you've experienced that freedom, I think it's just natural for you to want to go and share that freedom with other people. And so, Last weekend, we got to celebrate the freedom that we experience uh, in this country. But I think that's something that's even more important than that is that we continue to celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ and by sharing that freedom with other people. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for, uh, thank you for this church and all the fun things that we get to do and the community that we get to build here. But more importantly, uh, it's a place where we get to come and we get to maybe experience freedom for the first time. That there are some things that have been calling our name, knocking at um, the, the door of our heart in order to bring us back into this enslavement. And we're just reminded we don't have to say yes to those things. Those things don't master us any longer as long as we are, we are found in you, as long as we have found our freedom in you. And so, Lord God, uh, my prayer is that there would be people who would be released from any kind of bondage, whether it's guilt or shame or addiction, and they would find this new freedom in you. 
And for those of us who have experienced and continue to experience this freedom, Lord, I just pray that we would be given opportunities to share this freedom with the people around us. Lord, we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys stand with me. Thank you guys so much for being here this week and be here next week as JP is here. If you need any prayer or anything, I think there might be a couple folks down front. Um, other than that, have a great week and we'll see you next week and God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message and remember, we also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. You can always join us online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.